morning, everybody. Hello, hello. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Nick, uh, and together with Chris, we are the senior pastors here. It is great to see you. Well done for getting here. Um, so we basically, we're well into a series that we're doing here on a Sunday morning all about miracles. Uh, and if you haven't been around, then I would really encourage you to get our podcast and download it. So there's been, Chris has done some, Chris Tatton's done some, Laura's done a talk, I've done a couple. But do get a feel for this series and why we're talking about it. It's hard to just get a snapshot in one talk, but I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to some of the others. And the reason we're talking about miracles at the moment is because we believe that the stories in the Bible are not there for information, but instead they're there to inspire us and bring transformation. That's what we believe they're there for. We don't think that stories are there just as like this Sunday school thing where we listen to a story and we go, oh, that was nice. Like these stories are here to inspire us and to bring transformation in us and in the community that we live in. And so that's why we're talking about miracles. And you know, the Bible tells us when Jesus says himself that we will do even greater things than these. So last week we heard about turning water into wine. We've heard about people being raised from the dead. We've heard about the most incredible things. And what I love the most is that Jesus wasn't keeping this all to himself. This is where he just got to play. He said, you will do these things and you will do even greater and we are a community of people that are passionate about seeing the miraculous break out across Ashford. Thank you. Yes, I think it's very exciting. We are passionate. I'm really passionate about it. You can come with me if you like, but I'm going anyway, so I'm going after it. Um, good. And, and actually, what was interesting is Chris and I were having a chat this week generally about, you know, as we do, about Ashford Vineyard and church life and the church culture and where we're at. And one of the things I felt God kind of prompted me about was, I feel like there are some people here who just want this series to end. That basically, <laughs> in a nice way, that basically I feel like some of you are like, can you just stop with the miracles stuff now? And the reason you're, you're feeling that is because it's just too uncomfortable that actually it's one thing to hear stories about the miraculous, but to week after week be told that you have an opportunity to partner with this and to get stuck in and get involved just feels too uncomfortable. And I felt God, that was the phrase I had, I felt God say that there's people that are like, can you just like enough now, enough with the miracles. Can we just go back to like going through like a bit of the Bible or talking about community or something that maybe is a bit more comfortable? And I would say this one's for you today. This one is for you because what I'm talking about today is the fact that you don't need to have it all together, be the bravest, most courageous person there is. You don't have to be experienced. You don't have to know what you're doing. Everybody gets to play when they just give the tiniest thing, the tiniest piece of courage. God can do something phenomenal with it. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you have been sitting here and that's one of you and you're like, how did you know what I was thinking? Well, the series is not ending yet. So not, sorry, not sorry. Uh, so 
I was going to say, so get over it, but that feels a little bit harsh. But the series is not ending yet because we want to keep giving us an opportunity to get involved in some of this stuff. So we are going to be reading this morning from uh, the book of John. So if you've got a Bible, grab it. This is one of the books in the Bible that talks about um, the life of Jesus when he was on the earth. And it's a very familiar story to... um, you know, for many of you, I'm sure, uh, where we see this concept of something very tiny being multiplied into something phenomenal. John 6, we're starting at the beginning. So after this, basically, Jesus had been doing some other miracles and talking um, to some of the people in that community. And it says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore off the Sea of Galilee, and the great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, nothing to be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with those pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountainside by himself. So I've got a little picture here of what um, a crowd of about 5,000 looks like. Now, what's interesting is I couldn't actually fit them all on my slide. So I basically Googled, what does a crowd of 5,000 look like? It is very technical. And this was a hockey tournament in America some time ago. And this was the picture that came up. So this, if you look behind you, they're not even all on there. I think sometimes when we look at some of these stories and we see some of the like cartoons and stuff that are drawn about them, they don't really show 5,000 people. There's like a few people sat around on the grass eating some bread and, and you know, some fish. But actually, we have to start by realizing this was a huge crowd of people. This was not just a few hungry people. This was a huge crowd. So... Before I put the magnifying glass over this thing about giving a little and transforming into a lot, I I couldn't help myself but just point out a couple of other things about this story. And bearing in mind the size of that crowd, I have to point out and marvel at the extravagance and the audacity of this miracle. What I find almost incomprehensible is the fact that Jesus didn't just make enough food to feed that huge amount of people enough that they wouldn't starve or just to take the edge off. This wasn't like an appetizer. He gave them all that they wanted 
And there was still 12 huge baskets left over. Now, one of the things we have to remember when we're talking about miracles is that Jesus didn't do miracles to prove how powerful God was. It wasn't like a party trick. It wasn't like a, you know, well, just in case you weren't sure how powerful God is, I'm going to do these amazing things. And then everyone will go, oh, that's not why he did that. He didn't need to do that. You know, if we wanted to know how powerful God was, you only have to look in the Old Testament, at like the dividing of the Red Sea or creation or the plagues. You know, there's huge amount of evidence in the Old Testament that God did all by himself to show how powerful he was. So he didn't need Jesus' help here. The reason Jesus does miracles is to point to the nature of what God is like as a father. That's why he did them. That's why he did these miracles. He wanted to show, this is what my dad is like. And if you want to show what your dad is like, then you wouldn't just give something to take the edge off. You wouldn't just feed people enough that they were just satisfied, because that's not the nature of God. You know, a friend of ours, we've said here before, a friend of ours, Andy Fearon, uses the phrase, never let God pour the cream. And, you know, and that is because, you know, if you see a child with a pudding and you give them the cream, they will just keep going and going and going. And Andy is absolutely right. We should never let God pour the cream because he is extravagant as a father. He lavishes his provision on his children. He's not into just enough. That's not the nature of God. He is into overflowing abundance. And that is shown in this miracle. The other thing that's worth noting is that Jesus is doing this as a man. So, of course, what we have to remember is there could have been this crowd of people. And then from the heavens, God could have just rained down bread and fish. I mean, it would have been quite spectacular. I'm sure it still would have got annotated in the Bible. It would have been amazing. But no, Jesus, as a man, performed this miracle. And that points to something else, which is when man and God partner together, something amazing can happen. We have a part to play. This isn't just about God from on high with his big finger and his big hands kind of pouring stuff down and doing miracles without us. He's desperate to use us to perform these miracles and demonstrate just how good he is. The other quick thing to mention is this, that Jesus's instincts were transforming impossible situations into moments of possibility. That was an instinct for him. I absolutely love the line where it says, he asked this only to test him, for he'd already made his mind up what he was going to do. Like, isn't that brilliant? Isn't that so good? Like, he didn't have, he didn't say, I just need to take some time now to go away and have a planning meeting. Uh, what I'm going to do is we're going to look at how many food supplies we need. We need a system. We need to make sure no one's gluten-free. We need to make sure this. We need to make sure that. You know, he didn't do that. His instincts, without, he already knew what he was going to do. In that moment, he knew what he was going to do because his instincts were for transforming the impossible into something possible. And I don't know about your instincts, but my instincts aren't, haven't really caught up yet. My instincts are far too often to do everything I know to do in the practical, to do everything I know to do within my own strength, within my own skills. And then if all else fails, then I go to Jesus and say, I think I'm really going to need a miracle. Like it might just be me, but I doubt it's just me. 
But we do this. Our instincts too often are, okay, how can we fix this? Let's come up with a structure, a procedure, a system. Let's come up with a way of doing it. But Jesus' instincts were immediately for transforming the impossible into the possible. That is what I want to grow my instincts into. I don't want to spend my life trying to do it on my own and then admitting defeat in the end and going to him while he's like, here I am, I was here all along, I could have helped. I want that to be my instinct. The problem is that my instincts are far too heavily influenced by my awareness of my own limitations. That is what gets in the way of my instincts, is that as soon as I go to lean into impossibility, the voices in my head begin with the monologue of, oh, come on, Nick. Really? No, that's impossible. What makes you think you could see that change? No, no way. And I'm too influenced by my lack and the things that I fear, this nagging belief that maybe God can't bypass my limitations to get to the thing that he wants to see happen. But this is where I want to focus today, which is that whatever we can offer, however tiny or seemingly ineffective or seemingly insignificant the thing that we have to bring to the table, God can multiply that into something that goes beyond our wildest dreams. So I want to quickly look at the verses that I think are the key to unlocking this. It says, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? The first thing that leapt out of me when I looked at this story was Andrew's courage. Those two words spoke up. Remember you have a crowd of 5,000 men and we hear in other accounts of this story that actually there were many more women and children present as well. So the, just the 5,000 was just the men and then plus the women and the children. And here they are, they need food and Andrew has the courage to speak up and say, here's a boy that's got some bread and some fish. I think probably one of the greatest miracles in this story is that he didn't get laughed off the field. Honestly, like, can you imagine the moment where basically you have all of these people that need fielding? Jesus says, how should we feed these people? And Andrew's like, well, you know, there's a boy here. He's got some bread and fish. Honest, honestly, if you were there, you'd have been like, uh, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for turning up. Like, seriously, Andrew, like, what are you playing at? Like, who would suggest that? Who would even think to suggest that that might be part of the solution? I mean, he basically is up for complete humiliation and ridicule. It's basically like saying you have a million pound debt and a child coming to you and say, you can have my piggy bank, I've got one pound fifty. And, and you've been like, what? Like, that's not going to make a difference. That's not going to change it. And yet, Andrew has been spending a little bit of time with Jesus and it's amazing what spending time with Jesus can do for your thinking. In that split second, his thinking slightly leans into, maybe it's worth mentioning the boy with the bread and the fish. But what I love is his honesty, that immediately he speaks up and then immediately he goes to a place of, not that that's going to make any difference. 
It's not even like he believes this is going to be the answer. But he, all he has is the tiniest bit of courage just to mention it. And then immediately does the disclaimer of, well, not that that's going to change anything. This isn't going to be able to spread to people. But he at least speaks up. And then you've got the boy who, who would think, it's interesting in that massive crowd, it can't be the case that he was the only person that had any food. Surely, I mean, who goes on a day trip and doesn't take any food? Like, it can't be the case that in a crowd of over 5,000, he's the only one with food. And yet, how is it the case that he's the only one that makes himself known to the disciples who are looking for food? I don't think it is any accident that he is a boy and not a man. There is a childlike optimism that comes from this little boy who thinks that maybe he could be audacious enough to play a part in the story. I know you need to feed over 5,000, but here's my lunch. There is something beautifully childlike in that moment where he offers it up. He didn't have a lot, but the tiny thing he had, he was bold enough to even consider that it might be relevant to what was about to happen, and he brought it to the table. And this is the phrase that has come back to me over and over again as I've looked at these miracles and this story. And yet, with God, dot, dot, dot. You have 5,000 people that need feeding and a boy with a small lunch. And yet, with God. And that is where the tipping point of the miraculous comes, where we start to realize there's an and yet with God, there's a possibility that comes. Now, in my job, I face almost daily people in impossible situations. And sometimes that weighs heavier on me than others. But there is something that is a common theme. I speak to people who tell me the most awful things. Last Sunday night at Ashford Sing, so we run a big community choir that meets here. It's about 220-odd people in the choir. And on any given Sunday night, it was about 130-odd. Bearing in mind, out of the two and a half hours I was in the building, 75 minutes of it, we were singing. Just in the time remaining, I heard of two people who had just had potential terminal diagnoses of illness. I heard of two potentially imminent marriage breakdowns, relationship problems, financial. This was in the time remaining within two and a half hours and we were singing for 75 minutes of it. In the time left over, I went from one person to the next person to the next person just to say hello and heard impossible, 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 impossible. And it really just bothered me. And what bothered me the most is that I am trying so hard to lift up my eyes and engage with something tiny that I can offer. But too often, I become impotent and basically just listen because I haven't got my eyes on what's possible. I have my eyes on the thing in front of me, which is the seeming impossible situation. But something in me is changing. And I talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, about praying for my friend's back. Something in me is changing. 
and there was one person who is facing a, a horrible health scare who has been very clear and vocal about the fact they don't believe in God um, in a lovely, kind way, but they're just basically, that's where they stand. And I decided, do you know what? I don't have much to offer, but I, what if I laid my hands on this person and they got healed? What if there was a childlike optimism that rose up that said, maybe the bread and fish in this moment is me just having the courage to have a go. And I offered to pray, and I have no idea whether physical healing has come, but I refuse to believe that nothing changed. And this person sat with tears streaming down their face. Why? Maybe it was because someone was showing them love. Maybe it was because they were encountering God. I don't know. And actually, that's not really down to me to have to work out. But sometimes the tiny thing we bring is a little bit of courage that says this matters enough. Because God isn't in the business of addition. You notice how he didn't go and try and gather food from as many people as he could find and put it in one big thing and then share it out. That's adding up. He's in the business of multiplication. He takes one small thing and then he multiplies it with huge extravagance. And one of the best examples I've seen of how when we choose to focus on possibility, something incredible happening is in a little video I'm about to show you. I make no apology for the fact that I've used this before I think it was a few years ago. Um, so you may have seen this before, but I won't apologize for it because it is probably one of the best examples I've ever found of a demonstration of the power of what happens when a father partners with a son's courage and the incredible legacy that is left beyond that. So um, we're going to have a quick look at the screen. Um, just very quickly, actually, before the video starts, I'll give you just a tiny bit of background to this. So Team Hoyt are a father and son um, pairing who uh, Rick Hoyt was born with um, his umbilical cord around his neck. He suffered severe brain damage at birth. Um, and the doctors told the parents that he, they should just put him on, in a home because he would achieve nothing. Parents decided not to align themselves with that and took him home and said they would raise him like a typical child, a member of that family. Now, the background to this story is that when Rick, I think, was about 13, he heard of a young man in their village or their town who had had an accident and become paralysed. And there was going to be a fun run, like a fundraising run to raise funds for this man's care. And Rick, bearing in mind that he cannot walk and he cannot talk, by this point had had a computer um, a device given to him to be able to say words using a switch. And on his computer, he said he wanted to run in this race because he wanted, this is what he said, he wanted to show this man that he had something to live for. The tiny thing he offered was a desire for freedom for this man that he would see had something to live for. And this, um, just a couple of minutes video, is just a little bit of the legacy of what happened next. Our last story this evening features an unforgettable pair of unlikely teammates doing improbable things. I'm talking about Dick and Rick Hoyt, two men who are biologically father and son, yet much more than just a boy and his dad. For 30 years now, the Hoyts have turned individual endurance tests of marathons and triathlons into team events and the manner in which they've done so has enriched both men. 
Our Mary Carello updates a profile we first visited five years ago. This is where they go to prove their mettle. Endurance racers from around New England, ready to take on an Olympic distance triathlon. Those who finish will swim a mile, bike 24, and run six more. All right, welcome everyone. But one man's got a tougher challenge than the rest. And it's not because he's one of the oldest guys here. It's because Dick Hoyt will pull, pedal, and push his son Rick, who was born without the ability to move or speak. This is how father and son spend their time together, nearly every single weekend, going back 30 years. Dick and Rick Hoyt have completed over 240 triathlons, and on their lazier Sunday afternoons, over 68 marathons, the fastest in a time just half an hour off the world record. Yes, the real world record. They say Dick Hoyt could have been an elite endurance athlete on his own. Dick's not so sure. I just don't have the desire to be out there running by myself. I think it's just something that comes from his body to my body, and it makes us go faster. Are you trying to say that you run faster pushing Rick than if you didn't run with him? Oh, yeah. He, he inspires me and he motivates me. And he's actually the athlete, and he's very competitive. He wants to win. To those who don't know better, it might seem an unlikely pair. The strapping Richard Sr., a retired lieutenant colonel with the Air National Guard, and his motionless son, Richard Jr., born 48 years ago. Rick had been strangled by his own umbilical cord during birth, severely damaging much of his... And that video goes on to tell um, the whole story, but I think you'll agree that there are, there is so much power in that. So much power. And there are stacks of videos that you can watch hearing their story and hearing this father and son talking of their experience in this way. And these are the things for me that just, I feel like God is, is inviting us into that we can learn from this story. And the first is this, stop disqualifying yourself. Just stop. If you want this series to end, stop disqualifying yourself. <laughs> or we will just keep talking about it every week. Stop disqualifying yourself. Who, how ridiculous, how ludicrous for that 13-year-old young man who cannot walk to suggest that he participate and take place in a five-kilometer fundraising run. And yet he knew his dad. He knew he couldn't do it alone, but he knew with his dad it was entirely possible and feasible. And do you know what some of the legacy of this is? If you stop disqualifying yourself, you'll see that there's a legacy waiting for you to leave. What is incredible, so they've been doing this for 30 years. Dick is now over 70. They are still entering Ironman competitions now. And what is incredible is the legacy they've left is now there are volunteer teams across America who for children and young people with disabilities, they are waiting at these events to be partnered with these children, to push them, to pull them, to cycle with them on their bikes. So what's happened is multiplication. That's the multiplication that happens. It's not just one dad and his son anymore. This is children and young people across America 
who are now feeling the freedom of in participation because they started something and it was contagious and it multiplied into something beautiful. The next thing I would say is this. Stop focusing on your lack or your insignificance. It is a lie. It is a lie. You are being fed a lie that you have nothing to offer. Step back. You see someone in front of you that needs a miracle and you are being fed a lie that says, step back. You have nothing to offer here. What do you think you can do? You're not going to be able to help. It's a lie. Do you know what? Dick Hoyt couldn't swim. He couldn't swim when they started this. Another video talks about him looking at the lake where they train and saying that he would just be like a lead balloon. He'd just sink. And yet, with God, and yet, the desire that he had for his son was enough that everything changed. And he trained. And he didn't see impossibility. He looked at possibility. And finally, choose courage and possibility with a childlike optimism that may place you in situations where people laugh you down. Chris told a story last week on Healing on the Streets where they were saying, you know, we think God can heal you. And this guy said, pigs might fly. You have to be willing to be laughed off the field. You have to be willing to be laughed off. Andrew, when he said... When he spoke up and said, here's a boy with a little bit of lunch, he was willing, he took the courage and he was willing to be laughed off. And that was a catalyst to the miracle that came. But we have to choose this childlike optimism that says, I know who my dad is. I know who my father is. And I know that he wants to use me. How do we do that? For me, it's about getting into the Bible, drenching yourself with a bit of truth, declaring out loud. I've spoken numerous times about this. I will keep banging this drum. Speak out loud about the promises of God over your life. Let your speech reflect the truth of what God says about you rather than the inner monologue that will derail you and tell you you are not worth anything. Surround yourself with stories of possibility. Find people who are seeing the impossible become possible and then tag along. Here's a suggestion. Every two weeks, there's a group of those people that are in Ashford Town Centre doing healing on the streets. What is the worst that could happen? It might cost you a bit of pride. It might cost you a bit of overcoming fear. But maybe the little you offer is showing up. Maybe that's all you need to do is show up and just stand next to someone. You don't even have to talk. Just watch. And I guarantee that when that little boy saw his bread and his fish being multiplied into food for thousands of people, I guarantee he would have wanted to be involved in that again. Nothing about that story says that that little boy would have said, well, that was fun. You know, I'm not really up for doing that again. It's something about participating with a father in the miraculous, which can inspire you. But we have to be in the arena. We have to lay down our insignificance. And we have to say, I really don't think I've got what it takes. I really don't think I've got the courage. I really don't think I've got the experience. And yet, with God, 
I know that he can still do something incredible with me. Let's stand and we'll pray to finish. Father, I thank you. Thank you, thank you that you are not looking for perfect people. I thank you that you are not waiting for perfect skills, perfect experience. You're not even waiting for a lot of skills or a lot of experience. I thank you that you are waiting only for us to give what we have for you to multiply it. Father, I thank you that we, every single one of us, have a part to play in the miraculous. None of us are called to be observers. We are called to participate. And whilst it might start with observing, I thank you that you have a role for us in seeing impossible situations transformed into things that are possible. Not just possible, but audacious and extravagant and reflect who you are as a father. Just while people have their eyes closed, if you are here this morning and you are hearing about the nature of this dad, this God, and you're thinking, I want to know him like that. I want to give my yes to him for the first time today. I want to say, do you know what? Have everything I've got, all of me for all of you forever. If that is you, and for the first time this morning, you want to say that yes, just while people have their eyes closed, I'd encourage you, just raise a hand. I'm not going to do anything to you, but we would love to just chat with you. It's something we try and do here every week is recognize that God is sending people who he is wanting to get to know. Thank you, Father. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.